What's up, honey? I'm Sadi Simone. For years, I was looking for a spiritual sanctuary, but never felt like I fit into the wellness space. I was so turned off by the idea that I had to fit into what spirituality should look like or should sound like, I carved out a niche of my own. By embracing my spiritual sassy nature, I became an embodied permission slip to allow others to do the same. Spiritually sass is owning where you fall on the many spectrums of life, living in the complex gray areas between normal and nonconformist. Whether you identify as plain vanilla or sparkly rainbow gelato, my community welcomes and celebrates you in all your delicious potential. This podcast is for people longing for an avant-garde awakening. On the Spiritually Sassy Show, we're going to explore and celebrate what it means to show up in your full power, feeling fabulous, looking fabulous, and making a fabulous impact together. One guest at a time, we're revolutionizing and redefining what it means to be spiritual in today's modern world. This episode is brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. As I graduate myself, the health coaching certification has been a huge ally for me to be where I'm at today. Are you curious to learn more or thinking of kicking off a new chapter in your career? Head over to the show notes and click the link to get a delicious, massive discount of $2,000 off of your tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off if you use a payment plan. And my love, don't forget, you have to use my name as a referral to get this epic discount. And just in case you forgot, my name is Sa Di Simone. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Oh my fucking goodness. Wow, 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 wow. Welcome to a new episode of the Spiritually Sassy Show. You're in for a treat, honey. I'm here with someone who I love and I'm profoundly inspired by Ben Decker. Mm. Ben Decker is a world-renowned meditation teacher, a United Nations Sustainable Development Goals activist, a best-selling author of multiple books. I believe there's four fucking best-selling books, including his most recent release, Modern Spirituality, A Guide to the Heart of Mindfulness, Meditation, and the Art of Healing. Ben is also a political candidate running for the 2021 presidential seat of the Venice Neighborhood Council in Los Angeles, California. Oh my fucking goodness. Welcome to the Spiritually Sassy Show, honey. Hi. <laughs> hey, Sa. Thank you. Thank How's you for going? that. I'm great. How are you? Well, yeah, very well. Got yeah. some good news about my mom's uh, cancer. Mm -hmm. They're bad news, but they're not tragic. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's good enough. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I'm happy that you're here. Well, I'm happy that you're getting some good news, you know, better than tragic news. And I'm happy to see that you're in good spirits about it. 
Um, I think that goes a long way when we're dealing with something challenging with family. Um, being in good spirits, being hopeful, being faithful um, makes all the difference in the world. That's so, right. Yeah. And thanks for that. your support, too, during this journey. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. So let's get into it. First okay. question to every guest. Okay. Who are you right now? Who am I right now? Right now, I am deepening my practice in such a unique way um, that looks completely different than I've ever had ever in my life. And it's requiring this much more multifaceted approach to being totally present. Mm. And um, even though things are new and challenging in all different kinds of ways, I feel more present than I've ever been. So I think I'm the highest vibe version of myself that I think I've ever been. Um, still a lot of challenges, still um, you know, making mistakes, but feeling a lot more patient than I ever have been. Um, surrendering. <laughs> I know you love that word. Absolutely uh, despise that word. But we can get into it later. Keep going. <laughs> let me let me use a different word. Uh, what I'm feeling is more faith. Mm. I feel more faithful. Wow. Um, especially, I think having gone through the pandemic and experiencing and seeing and watching and being present through throughout that process, and now starting to feel a new kind of momentum. Uh, a new kind of inspired energy uh, sprouting up around me. And so I'm seeing uh, something good happen in the world, you know, so I feel more present and more uh, grateful and more inspired than ever. So who am I right now? I'm the most inspired, grateful version of myself that's ever been in incarnation. Holy fuck, that is <laughs> delicious. And I can actually say the very same. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Feeling so in a state of gratitude, you know, in spite of all the fucking crazy shit that's happening right. with my mom and stuff happening in the family. Um, and also in the world. Yeah. You know, in yeah. The, in the, in all between the nations all over, uh, we, we have this, we have all different kinds of every single challenge you could think of. Full in full expression, mass shootings. Um, in full expression, uh, I love that language. Yeah, and so in full expression, we can experience it and see it really, really actively and directly. And so, um, so in addition to our personal challenges, um, relationally or or otherwise, um, in addition to our personal challenges, there's this collective film. It's like we're all in the same theater, you know, and we're experiencing the collective process where you know sort of something so traumatic and jarring that's collectively taking place over the last year it's barely been integrated mm. we're, we're we're actually still in it that's you right. know so we've barely begun to touch the magic and the wisdom of maturity that comes from having survived something uh so devastating and intense so so there is this um, sort of like, even in the midst, like we were saying, even in the midst of our personal challenges and everything, we're still feeling grateful for where we're at in our lives. Um, it's even, it's, it's also directly connected to, I think, what's going on collectively. Because I feel like we are 
um, actively engaged. I know that we're engaged in a lot of different ways to help get people the, especially the psychological support that they need in order to navigate this. So the idea is a healthy psyche can navigate all different kinds of things. A healthy psyche is really resilient, you know, and really uh, fertile with creativity to navigate challenges, you know, which is a part of resiliency. Um, and so there's like this opportunity collectively right now uh, you know, whenever there's a trauma, that's a gr that's a, the way you look at it is like the best case scenario is that it's an opportunity for a, a transformation to take place. That's right. And so it's like there's something really cool happening collectively that I also feel um, grateful to to be able to be in support of rather than be um, at the effect of. I feel like for whatever circumstances, I'm one of the lucky ones. And because I'm one of the lucky ones, um, I, I get to do things that come naturally to me, which is uh, being available to help people who need help. You know, you and I went to the food bank. Um, we went early in the morning. We, we showed up and you were a natural. You just started to help. And there was, you know, you were with the vegetables for a while. You were in the, in the you know, boxing room. You were in the assembly line. You were, yeah. you were working the line with the clipboard. You know, you were so natural because you were there to, to support and to serve. And so you sort of like, the way I would say surrender, I would say like you surrendered into the process. That's how I want to use it. I know you don't love that particular <laughs> word, but what I mean is you, you relaxed into right. a place where you could be helpful. And I feel like we're, we're especially through some of the things that we're going to talk about, like with the campaign and everything. Um, I feel like, we're able to be more and more helpful. And so I want to say good. one thing, um, because for all of you listening, you guys know my devotion to the Buddhist path. In Buddhism, we never use the word luck. So you call yourself lucky. I call yourself karmically blessed, bitch. You're living out the consequence of all of your past benevolent, skillful actions. That's why you have this relaxed mind, this open heart, this you know, enormous urge to help as many people as possible constantly. You're one of the people, you're one of the very few people who, outside of my gurus, my teachers, my masters, who are in constant orientation to the benefit of others. It's literally, I talk to you in the morning, I know what the fuck you're doing. This bitch is like out there, you know, frying, serving. And when I mean frying, it's like the deep bodhisattva activation in full, full orientation to be of benefit to others. Nighttime, you know, when we get to, to, to be in the same room, you're just, you know, ceaseless prayer. You're actively working towards the benefit of others. And I think that is why you're living this present reality that is inspired that comes with this like what I call ecstatic gratitude or you can just continue to be creative and and, and have access to that visionary tendency uh, moment to moment. And, and I think that that's important for people to know that, you know, I don't see luck, I see karma. So if you're living out a benevolent, present, blissful moment, you've created it, period. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh shit! Did I open the door now? Fuck. Well, I mean, we could have a theological conversation. You Let's know, people, not. People see it, no, I'm just you know, all, all different kinds of ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I I feel like when I hear that, it sounds, it sounds like my ego likes the idea of that, and but then there's this part of me that that says, this is the grace of God. So to me, I see. 
it's it's not even mine. It feels like God has given me resources with which to serve mm. the purpose of God. Mm. So it's almost like it's not even mine because I've got to I've got to use it, you know, and I've got to like follow that inspiration. So it's it's almost like there's grace because He knows that I'm trying and knows that I'm available and knows that I'm listening, you know. And I use He sort Can of in a tradition. For the sake of the podcast, yeah, can we yeah. call pot? Can we call yeah. God? She, she, or the, they? The way the way I have have seen that traditionally is is that she represents the feminine, receptive, uh, healing d- dimension of God, and that He represents the active direction, guiding force. So that's that's how I've I've seen it. But but we can totally they they this one. Because yeah. that's the truer thing is is it it transcends that completely. The reason we don't say it when we're talking about God, the reason we say they instead of it is because God is living in God's life, and there's a relationship with with that spirit. And so that's why we have to say that's why people have historically said he or she. Um, but but the but it really has, I think, been mistaken. Uh, from from people who didn't totally understand what that meant uh, to become like a gender thing, which is never really what it was supposed to be. Um, but but yeah, the the reason we say they is because it's alive and they're alive and they're with us and and um, and they're evolutionary in their gender, transcendental. Exactly. Ooh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, how the fuck did you become so wise? <laughs> Like, how the fuck did you become so wise? Like, what led you any, to... Any amount of wisdom that I might have is, again, the freaking grace of God, honestly. Uh, being able to be in the presence of wise people. Uh, just the fact that I have... Um, what, I was so uh, fortunate to be in really good schools, um, studying, reading. I was raised uh, to really value... Uh, reading and and religious ceremony and studying. I, I completed a four-year seminary program the same time, the same week that I graduated a four, my four-year high school. So I was in like a really serious academic religious study all through high school. And that was, I'm going to age myself a little bit, but that wasn't long after the internet even like came out. You know, mm-hmm. so around age ten, the internet comes out. That's and and I entered the priesthood when I was twelve. So there's a lot of training, a lot of initiation uh, that goes from zero to priesthood. You know, that's right. And so I'm learning those things, and I'm also, you know, we're taught to pray and meditate on them, and I'm doing those things, and I'm actually encountering the spirit world. I'm having mystical experiences, and and I'm like knowing things before they happen, and and I'm. I'm asking for things and then they, they materialize and my family like starts to, you know, we kind of make jokes about my magic and, and, you know, and about my powers and everything and how I have to use my powers for good and all that. And so it became this, uh, sort of like family joke Mm. that I had these special gifts or whatever. And so I was very attracted to studying different religions as particularly as it came to like the CD powers, miracles, supernatural experience, um, spontaneous enlightenment experiences. And so that set me down, um, a tradition of studying energy work, acupuncture, Reiki, hypnotherapy, power of the mind, energy following thought, 
uh, occult traditions, mythological uh, symbolism, uh, ancient religions from all over the world, science, metaphysics, psychedelics, indigenous traditions, you know, and it, and it just became everything to me. And it was like seeking God. There was something you said to me once where I said, I don't, I'm like really, really, I was having a moment where I was overwhelmed with the political process. I'm running for office. It was stressful. It was crazy. I didn't like it. I had a moment. And you, and I said, I don't know if I feel at home here, but, and you said, well, when we're at home, who feels at home anywhere? What we're seeking is God, you know? Longing for God. The longing for God. Yeah, exactly. It's the it's what in Buddhist philosophy we call pervasive suffering. It's the most subtle one that's always present. It's in the background of our mind. It's urging us and moving us constantly. But I think that seeking mm -hmm. was your as was your moment of 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 knowing the you constantly learning all these different things was you it was it was you listening to that longing for God. Yes. But I think all a lot of that stuff has built you to be very smart, which you also are. But I'm talking about the wisdom, bitch. <laughs> the wisdom comes from lived experience. I believe the wisdom comes from challenging moments. I believe the wisdom yes. comes from uh, not necessarily tragic, traumatic rock bottoms, but moments where our external reality is falling apart. Mm -hmm. And then we recognize that we have responsibility um, and we, we have to be an, an agent of change in our own lives, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you, would you say that for you, a deep, profound moment of embodying wisdom came from your rock bottom? And I want to assume, and I don't like to assume, but um, does it have anything to do with you growing up as a gay Mormon? <laughs> Oops, said it. <laughs> you know, um, when I was a little kid, I loved rainbows and hearts and ponies and and nature and fairies and mermaids and Disney and flowers and princesses and magic and um, and I think that. <laughs> I think that that was um, not really something that made sense mm. to the people that I was around, my family, mm. the people at school, the community at church, you know, and um, and it and it made a lot of people uncomfortable. A lot was changing in the world, mm. and so we have to kind of also realize over the last hundred years, humans have been hyper neurotic because of the enormous amount of change that they've had to cope with that's right and and change is in itself traumatic and you know causes grief so so there's so there's like grace that we can have for like how people have handled things um, because of their ignorance you know and ignorance is such a harsh word but we know that all of us are ignorant in so many different ways that's and, right and it doesn't need to be an insult it's more just like an acknowledgement of something inevitable you know um, and so, yes, I, um, I would have to say that from a young age, I suppressed a creative aspect of myself and, um, uh, uh, an expressive loving aspect of myself. Um, and athletic, because of the homophobic church, because of the homophobic planet that I was on. But also, can we say that Mormonism has been historically homophobic? Well, they, uh, there's, there's 
they what one thing that they don't do is they don't allow Mormon. There are not gay temple marriages, so you can't get married in the temple mm. if you're gay. Um, you can't. That's terrible. Yeah, exactly. It's it's absolutely devastating, and um, the the there's a certain there's something nice. You know, you and I were talking about how in the Mormon cosmology, there's actually no hell. So it's actually when you die, there are three dimension, three heavenly dimensions, and they call them the kingdoms of glory. Mm. And they're all the lowest one. It's like kind of like good, better, best, and um, <laughs> and the lowest one, the good one, is infinitely better than what it's like on earth mm. for human life on earth. Mm. Human life on earth has has so much suffering um, that we could barely even fathom how how blissful and ecstatic and and heavenly, the lowest heaven is. So no matter what happens when you die, there is there is infinite grace and infinite release and and surrender and purification and all of that. Uh, but the soul continues to live on for eternity, and has you know, and it continues to learn. And so the thing is, you go into this lowest level of heaven, and then in your next life, you continue to learn. And there's like always these qualifiers to take you further, you know, up the ladder. And um, uh, up to complete unity with God, up to like returning home with God, which is in the highest. And and um, and so there was there was something in my heart that that thought a God that's doing that surely doesn't hate me for for how I am right now. And I knew so 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 young that I was gay, and I just I just wanted to I didn't want to be a girl. I liked being a boy, but I liked girl stuff. You know, and and I because it was prettier and nicer, and I'm a Libra, and my Venus is in Libra. I have all this Libra, Venus, beauty, gentle, love energy in my chart, and I and I feel like the trauma or the rock bottom mm. um, was related to a combination of having feeling like I needed to suppress part of my heart. Mm. Oh no, I feel emotional already. <laughs> um, feeling like I had to suppress part of my heart and also simultaneously um, having been sexually abused by someone at church. Mm. So I was molested when I was a, a kid right about the time that I was starting to realize that that I was gay and that I, mm. and that it was not accepted and that the things that I liked, you know, I remember in kindergarten, we drew, we colored these papers. They passed out white construct, white construction paper mm -hmm. and this special markers. And they said, we're going to take anything that you draw on this and we're going to put it on a plate like this for your parents. And they just had some kind of transfer. And I did a, and, and they had, they had us sit there and think about what we want for the world and to draw it. And this was kindergarten, so I was like four or five years old. And um, they were going to put it on this plate. And I drew a rainbow with a heart. <laughs> Adorable. <laughs> and so I always felt connected to something there. For me, you know, there's a lot that can be said about what the rainbow means. You know, there's the, the rainbow is perfectly natural. And so every tradition has incredible symbolism for what the, the magic of the rainbow means, you know, and just that that was in my psyche that young, it took me a while to dismantle the belief that I was somehow evil 
and and that I was a bad person and that I didn't deserve to be alive and that it was a mistake that I was alive and all those things that so many queer people go through. That's right. And, you know, so it took me a while to start to dismantle that. And, and instead of, I, re- I realized that I hated myself for that plate, mm-hmm. for that rainbow and that heart that I drew when I was five. And I had this rage against myself for doing that and for the fact that my parents still had the plate. And I think I even threw the plate away. I think I even like years later, like in my teens, I think I found that plate and threw it away because I was so furious at myself um, for being so obviously gay, Mm. you know? And, you know, I have, you know, two older brothers and two younger brothers um, and being Mormon, all these dudes, you know, it was, it was like not that easy to be my more, uh, soft feminine self, even though I think in their way, I think they held a lot of space for me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like my mom bought me a Ken doll <laughs> and I was like, this may as well be a GI Joe. Okay. I would like a Barbie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet. in in reference to growing up in such a what historically I have to say that word again, like against queer people space. Right. I love that you that that Mormon, the Mormon heaven, uh, accepts gay people, but which not, is kind of like a but seg- not the marriage, not the that's right, highest, but, yeah, mm-hmm. which is you know which is an important part to some people's uh, absolutely, absolutely outside of different ex- expressions of of Christ's consciousness where they say gays go to hell so this is a this is right. a little bit of an upgrade you know we can uh-huh. give them that credit uh-huh. still, and, and the one thing you know. that's most important for me as an heir to that lineage as like a multi-generational heir of like the founding families of that entire international community um i i have a relationship to that like mental field and there's something that keeps me there that that is it's the energy of family and and within that is the one seed the golden thread that keeps my heart open even after trauma and drama and going through a whole like reconciliation process that's right um the that and that one thread is the continuity of revelation even though the entire church and and the ch- and the active leaders now may not have the um, they might not be in the awakened state uh, or in the awakened expression of the new generation of the Mormon tradition, um, but it is intentionally a living tradition that uh, that seeks direct revelation in the present moment from divine, mm. and we're taught to do that from a young age. And the entire church is led theoretically by that. And so for me, being taught to do that really, really young has changed everything. And knowing that an entire community, it's the a blossoming of, of a new consciousness is happening there. And it's happening slowly, but that isn't that's a system that has 20 million members and has hundreds of billions of dollars in in real estate, etc. And the only reason I say that is because it's this enormous system that has to kind of like 
snap into a new body, sort of like move from a rigid stone and, and come to life like flesh. And it's designed to do that. So in its original founding documents and its original founding principle, it's designed to serve God, serve the highest in the present moment for the generation that's there even if it means things that used to be the law or things that used to be the case have changed. And so that's the whole point of... So they're just catching up. So they're just catching up. And so I believe, I have seen in my own prayer and in my own visions, I have seen the, the doctrinal narrative shift and I've, I've witnessed it sort of like a vision of a future event and how they will talk about it and how they'll describe it. And um, so it's, and it was basically based on this. This is it. Um, God, w the question is, if God did not mean for queerness, um, you know, w what's the answer there? You know, what's the, my, my question was God, comma, queerness, question mark. That was the question. Mm. So what I saw was a, a kind of spirit needing to be born into an ecosystem specifically to bring a new dimension of God's love in mm. a new kind of God's love. And it had to be separate from the kind of love that would specifically create bi biological offspring, you know? Whereas other people are really well set up for that. And like, like a Buddhist might say, their, karmically, their karmic path is to have children. Other people's karmic path is to not have children, That's you know? Right. And sort of the, and, and then I said, and so I saw that as the response to my question, God, comma, queerness, question mark. Love. Uh, my, Love my next question was, but why, question mark. And, and I just felt in my heart this love. And I felt it like flow through my entire body like a light. Mm. And I felt like I lifted up off the bed, like I was levitating in this like ecstatic state. And I just felt this love purifying every cell in my body. And, and I just realized that the reason for my queerness was love. Wow. And it was to learn to love and to, and to embody that love and to like shine that light, you know. It's a fluid love. Mm -hmm. It's a different, it's divine. And, and queer love is divine love. Yes. Yes, honey. Oh my God, I love all of this. I have never heard you talk about it like this. So thank you. Yeah. So that's the, and so for me, I, I have to say, I might be talking about it in a way that sounds beautiful now, but that came from pain and trauma and self-hatred and suicidal ideation and, you know, brushing up against addiction and um, putting myself in high-risk situations and, and not caring about my life and, and navigating other relationships carelessly because I didn't care about my own life and making all kinds of mistakes, hurting all kinds of people in all different kinds of ways um, until I got to love. Was forgiveness a part of the path? Forgiveness is the entire path. Mm -hmm. Speak to it. Every guest, when they don't talk about healing trauma and they don't 
they don't bring the word forgiveness to the table. I'm like, honey, this podcast not getting published. Thank you. <laughs> well, I see. Um, you know, I uh, what comes up for me is this idea of. Um, Jesus, you know, I'm religiously pluralistic. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a student of multiple religions and multiple traditions and, um, and I'm a student of direct revelation. Um, so direct experience and my, and my direct connection to God as I understand God is my religion. I, but I will say I have different experiences with the different, um, you know, leaders of the different traditions, the different avatars. I have a relationship to the Buddha. I have a separate but individual and equally meaningful relationship with Christ. And I might know Christ a little bit better because he's my, he was my first introduction to she. God. Well, Christ is a person, I just mean, as, an, okay. as a character. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. So that particular guy, yeah. Um, just like Kuan Yin is full on a she, right? Even though that's, you know. Um, disputable, you know, but yeah, anyway, anyway, but the, oops, oops, <laughs> so tangent, but, um, but I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I saw, I just saw, um, forgiveness. Uh, yeah, I saw in the Bible, Jesus said at, after performing a miracle, he would say, your sins are forgiven you go and sin no more. And this idea of sin is like, error you know it's uh, i love something that um marianne williamson says she says think about it as being punished by your sins not for your sins someone's not punishing you because you did that bad thing that bad thing like a buddhist might say generated negative karma that's and that, exactly it yeah and now you're dealing wow, with it honey, so, that's nice so you're punished by your sins not mm -hmm. not for them by by a god by god and, um, God, she's so brilliant, and you guys have such a sweet relationship. I love it. Yeah, no, she's she's epic. She's so epic. She's, you know what? She's the real freaking deal. Yes, she really is. Yeah. So much gratitude and love to Marianne Williamson. But that concept of being punished by our sins rather than for our sins was something that also helped me reconcile. I think with my childhood religion. Um, which Marianne also helped me realize is so crucial. Your first introduction to divinity mm. being healed, healing your any trauma or intensity around your introduction to divinity um, as, a, as a child and finding the, the beauty where it can be found, accepting the imperfections, accepting the dysfunctions, accepting that they exist, not blindly allowing them, etc., not pretending that they're not there, but accepting the wholeness of the picture um, inclusive of that which is actually pure and divine within it. How do you define forgiveness? Well, there's, you know, the from like an entomology perspective, the, the thing is to give for, you know, the from the most basic derivative source to give for. So it's the releasing of something. Um, and and the w what what I sometimes hear is people saying, you know, just because I forgive someone doesn't mean I need to have them in my life. And, and yeah, that's exactly right. But, but just because you forgive them uh, actually transforms the entire connection. So, so right. whether they're in your life or not is kind of irrelevant. 
um, but completely letting go of the desire to trash talk to com- punish to punish yeah exactly mm-hmm. completely releasing that and just sort of like trusting trusting the process um, healing ourselves I think of this I need for vengeance and Oof, this you know and just sort of like getting into that place of of you know equality and and just and just like acknowledging even though i might not be making the same mistakes that this other person is making and i might feel really wronged or whatever just like surrendering into a space (laughs) i I used to surrender a lot i didn't realize that until we started talking what i mean is like decompressing into something releasing our attachment to uh, to you know, needing to be totally perfect and and needing to hold everyone else accountable, needing to like completely be the judge and jury of every single person, you know, and the mm-hmm. prosecutor, you know, to just to sort of like. <sighs> that's what I mean by surrender. I mean like decompress out of the attachment to punishing, mm. you know. And, and sort of like softening into the heart, you know, like dropping out of the tight shoulders Mm -hmm. and like into the open heart. Mm -hmm. I love this. Mm. Okay. So, so that's forgiveness. That's forgiveness, which Mm -hmm. I love. One other thing that I want to add about forgiveness, it's when you choose to forgive, you're choosing to stop the cycle of pain from continuing in your life. Right. When you're forgiving somebody else, you're actually giving yourself the gift of unburdening your mind, bitch. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this, these things are the, you know, these are important things to talk about. And another thing, another thing that forgiveness helps you to see when you're looking at a person, you're able to, to dismantle the idea that someone's actions is who they are at the base of their being in, in Christianese or in Christ consciousness and mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. Buddhist philosophy, the idea that we have this awakened being, the seed of enlightenment at the base of our being, right? Um, so that seed that's all knowing, all loving, utterly blissful, mm-hmm. utterly unconditionally compassionate, that seed could never be poisoned by right. someone's actions, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so forgiveness helps you to, to, to actually just like separate mm-hmm. someone's actions from their heart, mm-hmm. from their Buddha nature yeah see past it see deeper into it yeah penetrate deeper that's right so but in that very breath you're able to accept someone's actions not approve of them Mm -hmm. acceptance is different than approval right when you approve if you give your consent for more of that to happen in acceptance you recognize that we're all caught in this amnesia right and we all do fucked up shit and then the next stage is to be able to you know flirt and glimpse and and engage with that person's you know, Buddha nature, their yeah. heart, and be mm-hmm. like, wow, this person, despite of all the fucked up, harmful shit that they've done, or they continue to do, there's still a part of them that's utterly free, utterly mm-hmm. blissful, and filled with the potential to be liberated. And then if you want to take a step further, you can even pray for pray that they become liberated before you do, so they can show you the way. Mm-hmm. And I use that for people who are very, very challenging in our lives. You mm-hmm. know, not mm-hmm. don't try this practice. The most trauma traumatic figure in your life. You know, start at level five, work yourself up to right. six, seven, eight. Maybe at some point get to the level ten trauma person. You know, but pray that they they guide you um, mm-hmm. in in the liberatory process. Yeah, I think that you know, in Christianese, like you said, it's it's the divine nature. Uh, we're children of God, which means we have God nature, and um, everyone is uh, 
an infinite expression of God created in the image, in the imagination of God, in the image of God, just like God. And so it's, it's remembering what we really are and who we really are. And, um, and then uh, from like a Christianese perspective, this idea of, of, of what, what we pray in that same way, mm-hmm. it's to pray, what we, what we would say is, give me patience now, mm. you know? And we would say, this is an opportunity to pray for patience and to be gifted with virtues. And so when, when we have like someone who's like really testing our patience, That's right. it's an opportunity to get a patience upgrade, you know, and to like cultivate the virtues, you know. I love this. Yeah, that's so beautiful. People were always confused when I would say, uh, thank God for Trump because he's now in my altar. People would be like, what the fuck? You have, you have, you're bringing Trump into your altar? And I would say, you're misinterpreting what I'm saying. What I'm saying is... Thank you, Trump, for showing me my mind, for helping me exercise my best qualities. Thank you for showing me where I'm lacking compassion, where I'm lacking love, where I'm lacking joy, where I'm lacking wisdom. So really utilizing challenges, difficult people, as feedback to where within ourselves we could use a development, uh, an upgrade in our virtues, in our, mm-hmm. you know, what we call it in our, in our lineage, the Brahma Viharas, the qualities mm-hmm. of the heart, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to shift. We call them the fruit of okay. the spirit. The fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Can I take a pivot? Because yes. one thing that really is utterly profoundly inspiring about you is something that I, and when I talk about politics and I just briefly spoke about Trump, like that's as far as I've gone, honey, because I barely saw this person speak or the mm-hmm. only introduction I have or the only imprinting that I've had about Trump uh, um, was through my father and through my brother. You are a spiritual teacher, a world-renowned meditation teacher, and now you're sort of not pivoting, but you're bringing all this like heart wisdom into such a historically um, toxic place right. and toxic blueprint such as politics. Why and what's your plan? Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you answered it. Why? Um, because it's toxic. Uh, and um, I know that the people who are there are not toxic people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that some of them are to- caught in toxic patterns or toxic situations or toxic dynamics. Mm-hmm. And there are, there's, a, there's a history of toxicity, so there's residue. Um, and it's paired up with a lot of other very, very intense uh, things, you know, or that, that are directly related to people's suffering. Mm-hmm. And so it brings everything up. Politics really means people. It's really just about people. And um, the the reason, you know, according to uh, like American history, the reason governments were instituted uh, were to secure the rights of the people. And so for me, from a spiritual perspective, having a spiritual orientation toward life, um, the Dharma has become... Uh, or the gospel, I think Dharma and gospel have like really similar overlapping meaning. Um, The gospel is love, Mm. and the Dharma is love, Mm. and love has a certain kind of awakening power to it, a wisdom to it, and and so I see 
um, the ancestors of all different traditions creating councils and creating government institutions in their wisdom to secure the rights and the resources that their people need, that their family needed, that their tribe needed. And um, as a queer person, I don't have kids, you know? And um, so there's something about, uh, <laughs> for me, there's something in my heart where I can feel that I'm a father. And yes, I have nieces and nephews. Um, my, my brothers are all great parents, they're all great fathers. Um, but I feel a sort of a call in my heart toward expressing this fatherly energy. And, you know, especially with the younger generation, uh, doing whatever we can to front load resources to them. And, and I just remember how challenging it was for me to not only grow up queer, but grow up more creative mm. um, than the environment really like gave me space for and more unique and wanting to ask more questions and not, and not really like thriving in the instructional environment. Um, so, so I see a lot of that um, being something that pulls my heart to, to channel my power and energy um, from these global different projects that I have been working on and bring them home mm. and see how much we might be able to do in one community. You know, especially through COVID, it's like, what could we do for just our family? And my family was so set. They all, they all mm -hmm. just bent. It's a big family. They all just took really good care of each other, and they were so set. And I saw so many people here in my community mm -hmm. that that weren't set, mm -hmm. that weren't taken care of. And and I think that something just sort of called forth inside me to enter into that um, state of sort of like that big brother protector energy, um, or that that father kind of energy and the community to speak of is venice yes venice california where we both live yes mm -hmm. so tell me about the neighborhood council because through your education uh to, through you educating me about the neighborhood council i started to understand um you know what what is what like what is local politics and right. what is the neighborhood council actually can do and like what's your vision being, you know, running to be the, the president of the of the neighborhood council. Mm -hmm. uh, well, by the way, I'm so excited that you're doing all this. It's like it's so cool that like you're such a profoundly wise, you know, with all the Bodhisattva values and all the incredible things that you've uh, done in your life, and you help so many people bringing all this into, you know, a community that that desperately needs help. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I feel like the people that I'm meeting from within politics, I feel like I'm, I feel like every other person I meet is Bodhisattva. Mm -hmm. I feel like so many of them are just truly there with altruistic intent. Um, even people who disagree with each other, you know? Okay. And so I, I kind of feel this like thing in my heart to like go in there and help people realize they're actually friends, you know, mm -hmm. help people who are fighting realize they're actually friends with That's similar right. goals. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I kind of want to be, I love this Mr. Rogers idea of won't you be my neighbor. Um, what I love about Neighborhood Council, even though there's over 100,000 stakeholders, so it's not exactly a tiny community, um, it's still won't you be my neighbor. It's still uh, an intimate number, you know, in reality it is. Um, so, okay, so here's how, how it goes. The city of Los Angeles is broken up into city council districts. There's a city council and a mayor. Each city council member has a district, and within that district, there are neighborhood councils. And so each neighborhood council is like a mini city council, and instead of a mayor, they have a president. 
Um, and what's what's cool is this is the place where local and city government meet. Mm. And so what's interesting about local government is you don't have to be an American citizen to participate in the Los Angeles Neighborhood Council elections. So for anyone in Venice, you don't have to be an American citizen to vote in this election. Uh, you do have to live, work, or own property in Venice. Um, but you also don't have to, you can be as young as 16. So there's something really, really powerful if we, if, a, if enough of us see the opportunity here. It feels really democratic. Yeah. Almost like the word is perfectly used like almost like actual democracy that's right uh, the one thing that would make it uh you know more pure is if there were clear if there was clearer communication to all the stakeholders that they are eligible to vote that's right because i had no clue exactly until you were like hey this election is happening you could right. actually help yeah totally by yeah. voting and so, you know, in the last election, there was about 1,700, less than 1,700 people who voted. And there are over 100,000 plus people who are eligible to vote. So we're looking at two, less than 2%. Um, but it's mostly because they don't know, you know. And so that's kind of one thing that we're doing is letting people know, like, you get to have a say in what's happening, you know. And so that's even, Marianne said, every campaign has its success even before, even before it ends. And it's like right now, one success that we're having is that everyone we're talking to didn't know they were eligible to vote. And, and they knew about all the different issues that the council deals with, and they had great information and great perspectives, and they, and they had opinions. They just didn't know that there was a place for them to go give a public comment and be heard by their government, local government officials, you know? And, and so that's what Neighborhood Council is. What we do is we interface with um, all of the different service providers um, that the city has for um, homelessness, which is a really big issue here, but also land use and planning, resiliency, emergency preparedness, law enforcement, public safety, et cetera. Anything uh, that the government would deal with, the Neighborhood Council interfaces with on a, on a super local level. And then uh, the role of the president is to appoint all of the committee members, uh, committee co-chairs, uh, to to meet with everyone, to preside over the meetings, to run ethical, respectable meetings, and to hear the collective voice of Venice, process it on the council, and then represent it to the city council member that represents our district. Wow! So it's 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 representing this neighborhood on on behalf of this neighborhood to the city who has the larger budgets and the larger That's initiatives right. and resources. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And what's like your top level thing that you want to do for well, Venice? You know, to be honest, Venice is full of so many geniuses and artists and creatives and and beautiful people with great spirits um our friend ansley weller who's running for secretary yeah uh, she always says if you can even be in venice if you make it to venice and venice even like lets you stay here there's something special about you just the fact you know it's it's really intense energy there's a lot going on here it's very very magical and for some people it's truly a culture shock and so I have always thought that's funny that that's how she says it, but um, it's kind of true. So anyone who's even here, it's kind of like, okay, respect that you could even like hang, you know? Um, uh, but the, the opportunity is really around um, getting those people 
to n understand what the council is doing so the council can become um, a better representative of people who are actually here. So the number one thing that I want to do is at least triple voter engagement. Um, I want Venetians participating. Um, the number two thing that I want to do is really make sure to create and, and maintain a respectable, collaborative uh, space for discussion. Uh, things have gotten really contentious, uh, particularly, you know, it, it paralleled what national politics was doing. It was really contentious, you know. And so what I want to do is help create a container uh, where we can have respectful dialogue, where we can hear the public comment, where we can do our due diligence and get some things done, you know. Uh, and so, so, so those are the two things. One is really get Venetians involved and registered and aware of what's happening, tripling the engagement, hopefully. Uh, and then the second thing is uh, just increasing the dignity and the respect and the experience, letting people who are not uh, who aren't comfortable in like the intensity and the toxicity that politics typically has, uh, create a situation where they can feel comfortable and safe to share their ideas and their opinions and, and what their experience has been. You know, so those are the two top, top things because I believe that if those two things happen, every other problem can be solved. If all, if, if all of our geniuses and our artists and our moms, all, the, all this wisdom here in Venice, if that wisdom were to come together into an environment that's collaborative and safe for discussion, then like problem solved. Every problem on the planet could be solved. We could become a, a utopian model city for every other city in the world to, to replicate and be inspired by, you know, and... Um, and so those are the so that's why those are the two top two priorities. Uh, but in addition to that, we want to um, you know address things like uh, homelessness in a really compassionate but effective way. Uh, we want to uh, you know address um, you know, the services for the tourists. We have over ten million tourists who come in. Uh, in and out of our, our little tiny neighborhood every year. And we do have people who live here. So we also, we want to make sure that the tourists feel welcomed because we're a very hospitable place. Uh, we like hosting our tourists and our guests. Um, but what we really like is to show them our art and our uniqueness and our magic. Uh, a lot of people don't realize Beyond Baroque, uh, one of our amazing creative arts schools here in Venice, is actually where Amanda Gorman studied. Uh, so Amanda Gorman was the poet who uh, performed, I guess you could say, at the Super Bowl and in the inauguration. Um, uh, not in that order, of course. Um, and so just knowing that we have a very diverse, a racially diverse um, and socially diverse and creatively diverse um, and professionally diverse community uh, that that has this power to be very impactful and That's healing right. and transformational and just like holding space for them to come in and, and just like blossom and co-create it, you know? So that's what I see. I see that's what the slogan for our campaign is, you know, is love thy neighborhood. And, and think about what that means. Love thy neighborhood is a command and it's inviting you to help, you know? And so it's not saying, I'm the one, hi, I'm Ben Decker, vote for me. I love the neighborhood more than everyone. It's, a, it's like a direct statement. It's like, can you please do this with us? It's like, love thy neighborhood. It's, it has this invocative energy that that's automatically inspires someone to, you know, tune into that Mr. Rogers neighborhood, right. you know, Mr. Yeah. Rogers energy.
I don't know that, but I know <laughs> through you. Uh, <laughs> earlier today, I was sitting with one of my gurus uh, in session, and she was speaking about the importance of community care, community care. So when I think about love thy neighbor, I think about how for us to be able to really thrive, we really have to be looking out for each other yeah. and checking in on each other. And hear, hearing you talk about one of the most inspiring things that you've ever shared with me is about um you know your visionary ideas that you have for the for the homeless um for the homeless the unhoused community here mm -hmm. which i love that you are constantly thinking about this community you know and, and even last night you were in this incredible meeting with all these visionaries um you know coming up with solutions to bring to the to, to this community mm -hmm. and you know i say this so often in the in in every single class every place I have an opportunity to have the microphone and say, I always remind people that if you're turning a blind eye, if you're turning away from someone who is in pain and suffering like someone who lives in your block unhoused, um, you're not walking on the spiritual path, on the direction that is that, that will liberate you. You're just caught up in the self-care movement of intoxication of good feelings right um which That's i think exactly is a right. very very dangerous place that we're in people have normalized unskillful behavior um as self-care mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so they're not walking the liberatory path of of this that, that is a spiritual path um by by meeting a homeless person by helping them by you know well, i mean the, them, the, the highest the yeah the highest metaphysical law is the law of unity so all things are connected, all things are one. And so to deny uh, someone in pain is to deny an aspect of ourselves, it's oh, to suppress it, an bitch. aspect of ourselves. Say it, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. that's it. I mean, and, and, I, and I, I'm so fascinated by that. And, and thank you for, for being such a, a profound leader in the space. And you know, everybody who lives in Venice who's listening, if you have friends who are, who are listening, like register to vote, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. The podcast should be out in the next week or so, so there's time for you to to register and. To and the the easiest way for that is venicevotes.org. Venicevotes.org. You yeah. heard it, honey. You heard it from the men's mouth, honey. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so you have so many things going on. How do you stay in your in your in this, your zone of genius? Like, how do you reconnect to your center? in moments of overwhelm, in moments of, you know, spurts of depression or, mm. or, or glitchy moments of anxiety. Like what, what is the blueprint that helps you to stay in the highest vision? Well, I think that, uh, believing that I'm a part of something bigger mm. and trusting that there, is, there really is a, a higher force, um, that set things in motion, uh, that I'm serving, um, knowing that I'm backed, knowing that I'm on a team, mm. um, that of infinite resources, uh, not that I'm on a team against anyone, but it's for the highest good. And, and also I think that an enormous amount of peace comes from a, a belief and, and understanding that, um, life is temporary. All things are temporary. Um, it's, it's this exhilarating supernatural experience that is, is happening with, with so much mystery associated with it. Right. And, um, just knowing that death comes one day and, uh, just as sure as birth, you know, 
death comes and knowing that that there's something even though I can't prove it I believe that there's there's an akashic record of all that has ever taken place mm. and there's some kind of memory and consciousness the universe has a memory you know and so there's a part of me that just knows that one way or another somehow there are trillions of of perspectives watching what's happening now and deeply conscious of of different nuances and the experience of now and just feeling supported in a general sense by them all to do the the right thing for the highest good you know and just leaning into that and leaning into um you know the the journey of it and knowing that it's not always going to be fun and and I too I do get anxiety and I do get depression and those things happen and and when when you experience them I mean it sounds so cliche but to welcome that experience is I think part of allowing it to empower you you know welcoming it and surrendering into it <laughs> sort of decompressing gag over here <laughs> decompressing into it i think is what i mean by surrendering like relaxing into it mm. um, um and you've given me so many ways of of, of being okay kind of with the mm. word surrender it's just i like hear in such in such a oppressive uh ways the right. word surrender disempowering such, yeah disempowering mm -hmm. ways mm -hmm. like shut the fuck up mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. definitely and, and yeah i i do mean relaxing i mean relaxing into it decompressing into it like softening your muscles into something Love. that's what i mean by surrendering letting something go you know and um and you know i think surrounding myself with with people who can see, you know, you know, we, we learn a lot throughout the years and, um, what, what I've found changes uh, everything really enormously is of course, intentionally being of service, uh, gives you power. You get power to help other people. That's where power comes from. That's what power is for. So the more I help other people, the more power I have. And, um, and so I feel powerful when I'm of service and I can tell that it, that it matters and that it's, it's contributing to something. Um, so that goes a, really a long way. Um, and then just like always knowing that just like death is inevitable and that death is not something to be afraid of. It's, it's like a, a process. It's like graduation from the life experience, you know, um, even though, you know, there's lots of, untimely death and there's like a whole a lot that can be said about all of that and i i don't mean to undermine grief and all of that um but f just you're asking about my practice it's my relationship to death you know that um uh, for for a year and a half i went to a cemetery every morning for my morning practice and it was not l a light experience it was an intense and deep experience and I think just processing my own death, processing the emotional loss of the suicide of someone I cared about quite a bit, you know, someone I loved very much who was in my life, who one day killed himself and just experiencing simultaneously my friend had been murdered and, and he also was the murderer, you know, in that one moment. And it, and it was just such an intense experience of sadness and pain and, and regret and all those different kinds of emotions. And, um, and I think that, I think that living from 
the understanding of eternity that birth is not the beginning, death is not the end. Um, and, and the fact that all these other beings are watching, they see, they're there to support. I think that for the most part, they're down to help. Mm -hmm. And the ones who are down to help will help if you ask, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so, you know, we could talk about, you know, demons or whatever and, and all of that. But what I, but that's not where I think, what I think about. I think about mm -hmm. the, the backing that I have, the divine armies of you know angelic support that that exists to like help facilitate this process of my highest evolution for the highest possible good uh for the purpose of actualizing something heavenly on this planet you know and so it's like just like you know pull all the pull out all the stops in this life like don't don't be scared you know go go be it you know if you want to go be captain america you know for me i wanted to be captain planet you know, growing up, it's like I wanted to be Jesus, then I wanted to be Captain Planet, you know, and it's like, and, you know, then I wanted to be JFK, and it's like, just go find that inspiration and, like, let it blossom in your heart and go become, you know, go kill it, go do a great job, mm -hmm. learn, explore, experiment, you know, be a whore for liberation and a whore for contribution. <laughs> <laughs> focus on that. Oh my God. Focus on that. And then all your dreams will come true. Listen, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, we're coming up to the very last mm -hmm. little bit. Can I just get a quick sort of a, a bite size aspect of, of the day to day centering practices I, mean, mm -hmm. I know but let the audience know mm -hmm. there's prayer there's exercise right there is meditation of so, course the service part it's so big and you've already so there's so much about that right let the people in to know yeah like how do you manage to write four books how do you manage to run a team how do you manage to like do all this fucking thing now running for president of the neighborhood council like Mm -hmm. How is that even possible? If we keep saying surrender, God's blessing, divinity, blah, 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 stuff, it's not, for me, uh, sometimes um, mm -hmm. can, for, it can sound like, okay, how do I do that? What if I'm in this cloud of amnesia? How do I purify my mind enough for me mm -hmm. to get any glimpse of this? Hey, girl, it's God speaking, bitch. Go live your dreams. Like, how do I even get that, you know? Well, um, something, something came up the other day that, that threw me off, that really stressed me out. And I was just sort of like catching my breath and feeling the anxiety and feeling crunchy, as you say, <laughs> starting to feel crunchy and like kind of short and like uh. kind of grinding my teeth a little bit. And I just started to breathe and I, and I just thought, God is on it. God, God is on it, on it. God is on it. God, God is on it, on it. <laughs> and just sur just relaxing into oh, the idea. That humor piece, I love it. Yeah, mm -hmm. you need to laugh, right? You were just telling me the other day about laughter yoga, and it was such a good reminder, you know. And I appreciated that you said it. Of course I know laughter yoga. That's not a new concept. Mm -hmm. But we have to be reminded so much, you know, how, how important laughter is. And, and really, it's this idea that um, um, it's that, in that moment, you just do your best. You know, it's like, I remember being on the swim team and uh, I normally swam in a 25 meter pool. And so we would, so, you know, if, if it was 50 meters, it was there and back. But I was, you know, I was at this special, this other venue and, and the pool was a 50 meter pool. And so I had to do 
a um, hundred meters there and back. And normally that would be four laps for me. And that means I got to push off the wall a lot more and use the momentum of pushing off a wall. And I had really strong legs. And so that was like one of the best things I would, when I would push off the wall, I was a little bigger than the other kids. I like hit my growth spurt early. And so when I would push off the wall, I would like win. And there was this time where I wasn't going to be able to do that. And it was gonna, I was going to be exhausted swimming twice as much before being able to push out the wall. And I told my coach, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to win this. And she said, well, you're signed up. And I was like, what should I do? And she said, just do your best. We don't need to win everything in every way. You know, first of all, I am going to win this election. Um, but we don't need, sorry, no, no attachment to outcomes, <laughs> but we don't need to be perfect all the time. And so it's less about like the performance and all that and more about like in life when we don't know if we can totally do it. Uh, we're, and I'm either going to cancel this meeting um, or I'm going to show up a little bit late and having, having taken the time to take care of myself, or I'm going to show up with like messy hair. You know, it's like, is it better to show up with messy hair or to cancel the meeting? Show up with messy hair. Mm-hmm. Let your hair be messy sometimes, you know, and be a crack baby. Like me. <laughs> well, just sober crack baby. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. And I think that what that means in my mind is like, is like, just be yourself. That's right. You know, genuine vibes only. Yeah. Genuine vibes only. Yeah. A hundred percent. How do we pray? How do we pray? How well, does one pray? You're telling me about this the other day. Okay, so the because I know prayer is a big part of your practice, right? So the way that I've done it is um, in in a lot of different traditions. There's basically this formula that I use, and so I have yeah, a tell us your formula. Okay, so the formula is we begin by I relax, and so I, I kind of take a breath and I just sort of relax so that my my energy is within and I tune my attention within. And to use Marianne's language, which I love, I close my outer eye, open my inner eye. So I close my outer eyes and open my inner eye. And I, and I address God. Mm. And so and sort of, it's sort of like pressing the contact to call. And so I, I choose the contact to call. Mm-hmm. And so I'll say, dear God, or heavenly mother, or mighty creator, or heavenly father, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then I begin with gratitude and praise. And so I picture myself sort of like, uh, like a flower offering. Yeah, Thank like you. rose petals, flowers, mm-hmm. gratitude, mm-hmm. honoring, acknowledging, looking around, being like, yes, 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 yes. And just invoking the power and the momentum of all that is good and bringing that into, your, into my consciousness um, through gratitude. And, um, and then I say, you know, whatever the challenge is or whatever, if there's a challenge, I, I place it on the altar. So I, I set it up. So I started kind of envision all this gratitude is like building an altar, you know, and that's where the flowers go and that's where the offerings go. And that's where the symbols of all these beautiful blessings go. Mm-hmm. And then I place on that altar that which must be altered. Mm. That which must be changed. Mm. I place on the altar um, my my fears or my or my insecurities mm. or my concerns mm. or my illnesses, and I surrender it. And what I mean by that is I relax from the tension that it's causing in my life. I completely relax as if I'm releasing it completely, 
and it's and it's being removed. And so the and then the next part of the formula is I say, you know, dear God, I'm having this challenge. I surrender this to you. I place it in your hands. I trust you. I know that you can do anything. I know that you can change my heart and mind. I'm willing to change. Mm. My heart's willing to change. My mind is willing to change. I'm, com- I'm willing to learn what I need to learn from this situation mm. for the highest possible good to refine, to adapt, to evolve, mutate me, mm. teach me. Mm. And so sometimes the entire prayer is teach me. Teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. You know, I, you know I like the two-word prayers. It's so you know? good. Mm. And so the other one is thank you, thank you. And there's a thing in the Bible that says vain repetition. Don't do vain repetition. They say that the heathens pray in vain repetition. That means praying and not meaning it. And so some people are like, you saying thank you 25 times is not a real prayer. And I'm like, well, guess what? Me and God are infinitely connected. We're inextricably linked. My entire life is a prayer. Every breath is a prayer. Every heartbeat is a prayer. Stay in your lane, honey. <laughs> yeah, like me and God are, are yeah. like, are like We're tight. getting better and better every day. You know, like don't mess with that relationship. Okay. <laughs> so, so then the, Epic. so the, the, the way I end the prayer is through an affirmation of faith. Mm. And so that's when we say, um, so when you do something in the name of someone else, it's just like they're the ones doing it. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the Christian tradition, you say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. We ask and pray all these things in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that means, all right, God, me and Jesus are in accord on this. We agree on it. And, you know, and it's, and it's a faith promotion for the person who believes in Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's helping them believe that the prayer has, has potency because, because of their relationship to Jesus. Um, and so what I will often say is in the name of all that is good and true and holy, so it is. Amen. Um, oftentimes we'll also say uh, for the highest possible good and for the benefit of all beings. Amen. Um, what I like to do is um, I, I wrote a prayer. And I wrote it rhyming because in the old traditions, we hear a lot about like um, spells and songs and stuff are rhyming. You read a lot of these like church songs and everything. They're really just prayers, you know. Um, That was one of the ways that they remembered them. And it was one of the ways that like got into consciousness and it would stick in their minds and it would exist as an affirmation. Mm. And so can I recite a quick one? Yeah. Okay. And so uh, the idea here is um, the way you would pray with someone in this tradition would be to just silently agree with the prayer as it goes. And it's intended to be a prayer for um, people of all traditions and no, and no religion um, for, the, for the highest good. So it's kind of okay. like a world peace thing. Okay. okay, great. All right, I'll go for it. It goes like this. Mighty creator, known by all religions, saints and sages of all traditions, Angels, guides, and masters of light, we call upon you from the dark of night. Earth below and stars above, turn dark and fear to light and love. With loved ones gone and loved ones here, past, present, future, far and near, we banish the darkness that binds us and invoke the light that defines us. Setting aside painful things, we speak forgiveness for all beings. Kingdoms fall and empires crack, we see abundance replacing all lack, giving strength to the weak. Harmony and peace is all we seek. The winds of change we feel tonight. Dawn approaches, shining bright, praying peace in all directions, singing harmony 
in all dimensions, caterpillar to butterfly, acorn to tree, may these thoughts be as seeds. In our hearts and minds they grow, and in the world around us show. For only good do we say these things, for the highest good, for the benefit of all beings. Mm. Bitch, that was good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I closed my eyes for it. It's very powerful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for letting me share that. So epic. Last question. You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. We're inviting the community to define what it means to be spiritually sassy. Mm -hmm. And of course, every guest comes into the show because I already think of them as being spiritually sassy. So Mm -hmm. how would you define being spiritually sassy? I think being spiritually sassy is being authentic in our experience of where we're really at in our process Mm. and also knowing that there's uh, infinite growth and healing available. So it's, it's simultaneously knowing that the path is infinite, the path is unattainable, and vowing to attain it, but then also knowing that, you know, you got shit to do today, and living from that place, uh, paying attention to the, the three-dimensional world, taking care of things, taking care of business, communicating effectively, uh, you know, everything with a modern day-to-day life infused with that that one atom of consciousness that leads you to like this unattainable attainment of the highest possible good Mm, you took it to another level bitch work thank you so much beautiful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. benjamin (laughs) decker thank you so much for being on the show thank you yeah so enlightening to talk to you definitely appreciate uh everything that you're doing and the the approach that you have, and um, I love how uh, orthodox you are with your Buddhism. I love how uh, you're you're simultaneously very modern and very unique and very much in your own expression, but also uh, very traditional in your commitment to to your path. So I really yeah. respect that. Thank you. I take it as a compliment, mm-hmm. uh, as devotional discipline. You know. Um, so thank you for that. And, um, where can we find you? Um, I think the best thing is Instagram, Benjamin W. Decker. I have on, on my link tree, I have my website and, and all my guided meditations and books. I've written four books, like you mentioned. Um, and also my campaign websites, all on my link tree on my Instagram, Benjamin W. Decker. Wonderful. I do have to say one thing before you head out. Orthodox, uh, Buddhist can sometimes be like a rigid thing. So I only want to say that the reason why I am such a, I'm, I really, you know, I'm so disciplined, devotionally disciplined to this path, to this mathematical equation of healing is because I have actually seen mm-hmm. how this lineage, how this school of thought, how the Buddhist technology has actually factually and historically produced uh, awakened beings. Mm-hmm. And I aspire to be one. So Beautiful. that's why. Love that. All right. Thank you. Love you. Everybody, peace. Ben, thank you. Thank you. Love you.